You're listening to our SSG Advisor podcast, our exclusive monthly podcast for our advisor members. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, my name's Adam and I'll be with you today to talk about anxiety. Unfortunately, this week we've got no Manuela. You've just got me, so it's a little bit different. Oh, and no visiting directors. And the format's going to be a little bit different as well. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about anxiety and what anxiety means. And then I'm going to answer some questions from our team here at SSG. So that's uh, where I'm going to go with this. So I think the first thing to sort of talk about is what is anxiety? Now, I deliver a lot of mental health training for us. And one of the things we talk about is a range of mental health conditions and how they feel and what people experience. And anxiety is one most of us can connect with because anxiety is incredibly common. It's something most of us will have experienced at some point in our lives, isn't it? It's uh, be it a job interview or be it a new social situation, most of us feel anxious. When we're talking about mental health, we talk about what's the difference between feeling a bit worried and a mental health condition. So when does anxiety become a mental health condition? And I think the easiest way to sort of think about that is when it starts to have an impact on our lives. So to sort of bring this into context, what is anxiety? First of all, well, the NHS definition is probably the best place to go, isn't it? A nice, reliable definition is a feeling as it defines anxiety as a feeling of unease, such as worry or fear, that can be mild or severe. And I think that sort of sums it up nicely, doesn't it? It's it's basically worrying about something. A really interesting question for me is what's the difference between anxiety and excitement? They're very similar feelings, aren't they? And I think really the NHS def- definition does it well because it's worrying or fear. It's negative thoughts about the outcome as opposed to positive thoughts about the outcome, isn't it? That's That's the only difference. And anxiety can bring on a huge range of physical, uh, emotional and sort of behavioural sort of symptoms that we can all relate to. It can be very real. It can be physically very real. You can feel your heart rate increase. You can feel chest tightening, chest pain, quicker breathing. You can feel emotional. You can you can you can feel a lot of sort of uh, things that are quite tangible and quite sort of uh, quite quite sort of real with anxiety. So. It's um, and they can be quite unpleasant to the point of, you know, inducing panic or panic attacks. So another thing I just wanted to talk about was anxiety is a broad term used to describe the sort of, you know, the the reaction uh, to that worry or fear. However, there are a number of anxiety disorders that are diagnosed from a mental health point of view. So anxiety is sort of the umbrella term. So when we're talking about anxiety, we normally see disorders that are different from that normal anxiety that we would feel for the presentation at work or the wedding speech, for example. And that's when my anxiety is more severe. And the categories they fit into, some will be aware of and some we might not. The most common one is probably generalized anxiety disorder. And that's where we have the feeling of worry or fear with no real point of origin necessarily or small things cause much larger worry than we would expect um and the anxiety can be ever present or it can be quite severe when we wouldn't expect it to and that sort of fits into this generalized anxiety uh kind of definition 
Some of the other ones are quite specific. One thing people don't realize is OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder is an anxiety disorder. And the reason for that is OCD is massively misunderstood. So OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder is a compulsion, a repetitive action, which you do as a result of an obsession or kind of some thought process that makes you worry or fear. So common ones we might think of is constantly checking the door is locked or something. The reason I'll constantly check the door is locked is because I have an anxiety response when I think about the door not being locked and the things that might happen from there. Another anxiety response is phobias. Phobias are basically a fear of something that triggers uh, an anxiety response that is disproportionate to the thing that I'm experiencing. I always point out, though, that I don't think spiders are a true phobia because it isn't an unnecessarily extreme anxiety response. They are our next overlords. They are taking over. But you can see where I'm going with that. Um, Other ones that we see are acute stress disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's where a traumatic event causes anxiety, either in the case of um, ASD or acute stress disorder, short term after the event, so up to maybe six months after the event, and post-traumatic stress disorder, which is the longer term flashbacks or trigger backs to an event, which is the anxiety from that. And then another another one that we see sort of commonly diagnosed is panic disorders. And that's where my anxiety is so intense that it leads to a, an uncontrollable panic attack. Quite interestingly, that panic disorder can lead into uh, the sort of agoraphobia, um, if you like, which is sort of traditionally thought of as a fear of being outside or a fear of open spaces. That's actually incorrect. Agoraphobia is a fear of having a panic attack in a situation where you can't control the the panic. So maybe if I have panic attacks, I get really anxious about having a panic attack in the supermarket because it's embarrassing and has social implications. So I avoid social situations. That can be confusing sometimes. And this is where a lot of stigma comes from in mental health, because I may therefore be able to do situations that involve lots of open space, like walking on Dartmoor, where there aren't any people, because I don't have that fear of my panic attack having an impact. So I think this is really interesting because understanding the disorders, understanding the the conditions can really help get rid of stigma. Because when we understand what people are actually experiencing, it helps us have empathy and understand the condition and better interact with people to support them during that condition. I probably should at this point say, uh, probably now what the best thing to do is take some of those questions and um, we'll play the questions and then I'll respond and we'll see where we go from there. Hi, Adam. What are the main triggers for workplace anxiety? Oh, now that's a good question, isn't it? And if only it was simple to answer. And I say that because anxiety means different things to different people. When I'm training, I often explain it like this. I talk about different triggers for different people. Maybe I say to a bunch of people in the room, we have to do a presentation to senior management tomorrow on the effectiveness of the course and how you found the course. For some people in the room, that would be an opportunity to get in front of senior management and sell to them the amazing stuff that they've learned and have a voice and have an impact. For other people, it will be the most terrifying idea in their lives and they'll spend all afternoon hiding in a corridor, crouched behind a pot plant, trying to avoid the situation altogether. How that response happens is completely unique to different people. However, what we do know is that from a couple of models, there are certain things that cause stress. 
And as we increase our stress levels, our stress levels going up means that we are might much more likely to experience anxiety-like symptoms in response. And one of the models we use in mental health training is our stress container, where we effectively all have a container into which pressures, workloads, personal lives, and other factors flow, filling our container. And all of us have a container that can hold a certain amount of stress. And when that container overflows, that's when I experience the emotions or the emotional sort of responses to too much stress. And very often that can manifest as anxiety. I think as well, another good analogy for that is to think about the flight or fight response, where in nature, if I'm being attacked by a tiger, my anxiety levels elevate, and then I need to respond to that threat. And so that brings us into a sort of situation where we've we've now got this model and we're going, okay, in a workplace, what can fill our stress container? It's really hard to answer because it's different for different people. But an interesting thing, I think, at this point to do is to switch across to the HSE stress management standards. And the HSE provided this list of standards that can be used to risk assess stress. And those things are also going to be things that cause anxiety, perhaps. So the, the stress management standards are demands, workplace demands. And actually, things that cause anxiety, we can all probably relate to too much work, but also too little work, not having enough to do. So demand is more about the, the stress or or the anxiety, however we want to look at it, is caused by my inability to cope with the level of work that I have, not too much or too little. How much control I have over the situation? Can I control my workload? Can I leave my workplace? These are all set by the HSE to increase stress, but also are going to increase my levels of anxiety, aren't they? Support and how much support I have. And I think I'm going to get back to that later when I talk about controls, whether or not I've got managers who understand that I can talk to or mental health first aiders. My relationships with my colleagues or my customers or other people that I'm experiencing. The other stress management standards are my role. And do I understand my role? Do I have clear cut ideas of what I should be doing? If I don't know what I'm meant to be doing, if I don't know what my objectives are, if I don't know what I'm meant to be achieving, that's going to cause me stress and that's going to lead to potential anxiety, isn't it? And the last one, which I think most of us can probably relate to, although I have met a few people who love it, is change. Change causes anxiety, doesn't it? When I'm in a training room, if I ask my delegates to sit in a different chair to the chair they were sitting in yesterday, it creates anxiety within the room. We all love, most of us love routine and our little niche. I'm probably talking for myself there and imposing that onto others. But I think any of those stress management standards are going to fill, not managed appropriately, are going to fill our stress container. And as that stress container gets full, we're going to start to experience anxiety. So to the answer to that question, I've made a really long job of that, haven't I? Is it's not that easy to answer because different things are going to cause different people to experience anxiety. I also think it's important to say something I didn't say earlier in my introduction, but I think it's important to say that anxiety isn't always a bad thing as well. Because if I'm doing a presentation at work, if I'm doing something at work that's um, particularly difficult, then if I'm anxious about it, when I'm anxious about it, I tend to put more effort into prep. I tend to put more effort into making sure I'm on point and ready. So actually, anxiety can be a good thing because it can make me step up to the mark and it can help me to perform. The danger is if that anxiety isn't well managed, I actually avoid workplace situations and it has a negative impact on my work. Okay, let's have a look for the next question. Hi, Adam. 
What practical strategies or techniques can individuals use to manage workplace anxiety? That's a good question, isn't it? I wish I had the magic wand that could take away all workplace anxiety. Uh, but alas, I'm not entirely sure that exists. However, there are some fundamental basic things uh, we can do. And some of the tools um, include things like mindfulness, being present, uh, talking about it, the, the, the common ones. But if I, if I run through that sort of just basic coping strategies for good mental well-being are going to support anxiety. Now, the first one I'm going to talk about has an ironic twist. And I'm going to say sleep, good sleep. And when we're talking about good sleep here, we're talking about getting a good, robust seven to eight hours of sleep a night in order to facilitate good brain health. The problem is with anxiety is that for those who've experienced um, anxiety, the first thing I find when I'm feeling more anxious than normal, it that happens is my sleep is impacted. So automatically I'm laying in bed with thoughts running through my head, unable to get to sleep, which is making me worry. I then know that that's not particularly good for my mental well-being and it's going to increase my anxiety the next day because I'm going to be tired and my brain won't have processed things well, which ironically increases the anxiety around sleep and I find that more and more difficult. However, when I do get good sleep, it really does help my brain cope. Another thing to note is exercise, good exercise. A lot of anxiety, if we go back to the flight or flight response, is caused by uh, a release of, you know, sort of um, chemicals into the body, sort of hormones and endorphins released into the body, which which trigger these sort of elevated uh, sensations to, to get me ready to act. And actually, sometimes exercise, be it a gentle walk or a or a long run for those who are more athletic, whatever it is, burns off those hormones and really does help. I enjoy running, I enjoy long running, and I found that beyond a certain point, it's hard to have anxiety when you've done a really long run because your body's just exhausted on production of those hormones. It's not for everyone, but good exercise can really help. Just getting outside as well, just getting out in the fresh air and connecting, connecting with nature, connecting with other people can really, really, really help. Coming on from that as well, I think um, I think just taking time, taking time to stop and reflect and take notice. And there's something I find really, really useful when I'm experiencing higher levels of anxiety is some mindfulness. Uh, some of the apps like Calm or Headspace, not for everyone, but for me, I find just really help me to stop, just to be present and to take note and to check in. Now, we're not just talking about workplace anxiety here. We're talking about all anxiety. In the workplace, I think it's really, really important to work out what those triggers are. The things we were talking about earlier, if it's the deadlines, if it's the relationship with someone at work, if we understand what the anxiety is, then we can work out how to approach and attack that. And I think it's really, really important to change the whole culture around mental health and well-being so we can encourage people to talk because talking is the biggest enemy of poor mental health. If we can actually get people to talk about anxiety and talk about what causes them anxiety and we get managers understanding that anxiety is a natural response to a situation, I'm sure we're going to come on later to talk about what employers can do, then the the, the two-way communication is going to result in a situation where we're much more open, we're much more understanding and that in itself is a big big benefit for reducing anxiety levels within the workplace. Okay, next question. Hi, this is Lucy. So what do I do if I'm struggling with my anxiety and I'm worried about telling my manager? Now that's a good question, isn't it? And here comes 
the irony of anxiety, isn't it? Which is what I was talking about in one of the previous questions is about the problem with anxiety is it can create a situation whereby my thoughts run away. I can have catastrophizing thoughts. This is something I very much uh, experience is that I work in safety. Probably for the last 15 years of my life, I've dedicated my career to looking at a situation and imagining every single way it can go wrong and every single way in which I can maim or injure myself during that process. The problem is, is that outside of a workplace setting, my brain continues to do that with every situation that I face, and that can become quite exhausting. It also then does the thing that if I talk to my manager, my catastrophizing brain goes, well, my manager is therefore going to judge me. My manager is going to hold that against me. I won't get the the good work. I won't get the more exciting work. I won't get the promotion. And therefore, I try and hide it from my manager. Hiding it from my manager then has the uh, paradoxical effect, doesn't it, of them noting that I'm not on point. I'm not actually working as well as I would. So therefore, they might challenge me on some performance, which makes me feel well, and the whole thing spirals round. Really, all we've got to do in this situation and all we can do, again, there's no magic wand, but is encourage people to talk about their mental health. It's really, really, really important to change this culture so that telling someone that you're feeling anxious isn't seen as some, you know, sort of throwback to the olden days when anxiety might be seen as a weakness, but actually where it's seen as a normal response to a situation where we can put stuff in place to support people. If you don't feel you can talk to your manager directly, maybe they aren't trained or you don't feel that they'll be understanding and you don't feel you get that response, then maybe there's someone else in your workplace that you can talk to. Maybe there's a mental health first aider you can talk to, or maybe there's a colleague you can talk to. Because the old adage of problem shared is a problem halved is very, very real. If you work for a larger company or a company that provides some kind of employee assistance program, maybe instead of talking to your line manager, you might be able to talk to a support line or something. But the problem is, is if we don't talk to our line manager, if we don't let them know what the problem is, if we don't directly let them know, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to recognize that there's anything wrong. I think it's not easy. It's not a simple thing to do. But what we need to do as a society is change this culture so it becomes okay to talk about it. And then I need to recognize when I'm starting to feel more anxious and I need to act before my anxiety gets to the point where it stops me acting. And I I need to just learn that these conversations have a more positive output than not having the conversation in the first place. I think that's really what I can say on this one. It's a very good and very difficult question to answer. Okay, next question. What can I do outside of work to help my mental health inside work? I think by being overzealous in one of the previous questions, I've probably already answered this, but I'll just refer back to some of the models that we see for coping strategies. So there's the Apple model, which uh, is things we can apply, which is the acknowledging which goes back to the mindfulness of acknowledging that I'm sort of feeling anxious or acknowledging where I am, acknowledging how I feel. The first P is to pause, take notice. The second P is to pull back, look at things from a distance, allow yourself space. Uh, the L is to, to let go and just to, just to try to let the pressures go. And then the E is to explore 
uh, and explore sort of you know how I'm feeling and and options for support. And that's um that's one of the the models we see. Uh, there's the GBCKT model that I I, I found on one of the uh, charity websites, which is um in line with the kind of government's I think it's five steps to happiness or there's a ten steps to happiness uh, document, which is to give so give something back, be active connect to connect with networks and people around you keep learning keep learning about yourself read positive help guides if that helps or learn a language or a new skill and again the t is take notice which goes back to that mindfulness there's a load of great resources out there for supporting your own uh anxiety and your own mental health um the nhs uh have a have a site for sort of supporting people's mental well-being and then some of the charities charities such as mind and mental health first aid england have tools on their website that can also sort of help and support so it's about doing some exploring it's about talking it's about talking to your friends talking to your family learning to talk and really learning to understand yourself and your own emotions okay let's have a look for the next question hi adam in some workplaces there's still a stigma surrounding anxiety what can be done to break this down? That's a great question, isn't it? I think, again, I wish there was a magic wand that could fix stigma, but stigma is deep rooted and is very much linked to culture. Now, one of the things we teach a lot in safety is about changing safety culture. This question is really about changing culture around mental health. And one of the things with cultural change is it's difficult, it's slow, and it's challenging. And really, this is where we all need to get together because together, if we're all pushing the same direction, we can change culture quicker. However, the easiest way to change culture is to get senior management on board. And when senior management start to realise that a good culture for mental health results in better productivity, it can result in reduced sickness absence, it can result in reduce staff turnover because staff want to stay. It can really have these big impacts. And there's lots of studies that show the impacts that it has. We start to embrace it more. Getting a good culture around mental health can also help when we've got challenges around people's mental health and they're struggling to engage with work because we then have resources we can bring in to support the person. So the person who's sort of um, experiencing poor mental health gets the best support and the business has a way of managing that person so they're not going sick, they're not taking time off. And it's a win-win for everyone. Sometimes though, the problem with stigma is it's built up over years and years and years and years of sort of social conditioning to think in a certain way. And it can be very, very difficult to break that. Of course, in all organisations, my ideal thing is we take the senior management team, we provide them with some training, and they start that journey of cultural change and reducing and stamping out stigma for mental health, and they champion it from the top. But I'm aware that people listening to this might not work in organisations where they believe or feel that's going to happen. So cultural change can go the other way. We can push cultural change up and by banding together and selling this message and champion sort of uh, championing sort of mental health and starting the conversation around mental health and making it okay to talk about mental health we can really start to change this culture we see lots of celebrities now sort of starting to get on board we see high profile people talking about their mental well-being people from large companies, senior management, people from all across the company talking about their mental health openly and honestly. 
I work for a men's mental health charity called Andy's Man Club, where people come along and talk about their feelings and experiences and challenges every day. And it's, it's just about making it normal and okay. And by doing this, we can start to really change the culture of a company, change the culture of society, and really start to stamp out this stigma. I think it's also really important to be quite cautious with the way we use language and recognise the importance of things that we say and things that we maybe traditionally have said that that maybe have an impact on people that isn't the impact we would have expected. And I think it's really important to think about language and tempering language and changing the way we use language because this can really, really help attack stigma and really help us to remove some of this stigma. Okay, next question. My anxiety comes out the worst at job interviews. What can companies do to help someone feel more relaxed? Oh, thanks for that question, because that, that's something I've thought about a lot. And I think one of the things we see is that I talked earlier about causes of anxiety. And when I ask you for a time when maybe you felt high levels of anxiety, lots of people would respond with at a job interview, wouldn't they? We're going into a very formal setting. We're being judged. We're competing with other people. These are all things designed to spike my anxiety, aren't they? And then we have to stop and ask ourselves, that traditional interview sort of system, what are we trying to achieve? What is it that we're trying to do That Do we want the person who is the most polished and most practiced at interviews? Are we looking to recruit people who are very, very good at presenting themselves during an interview? Or are we trying to look for the best candidate for the job who fits our organisation and fits the job? Because the two things might not be mutually equal. They might be different, mightn't they? And therefore, we need to look at this interview model that we've sort of built up over the years and ask, is it right for us? Is it achieving what we want it to achieve? And I think from a employer point of view, creating an environment where interviews offer a more natural environment for people to display their core talents. Simple things we can do by talking to the candidate before the interview, making sure that we ask them if they have any requirements for the candidate to be quite open about, I find interviews quite nerve wracking. I experience anxiety. And for the employer to say, what can we do to help ease that? If we get that right and we create a situation where people can attend an interview where they feel relaxed, they're able to perform, we're able to see them for who they are and their skill set as it is, that's going to result in, again, the employer finding the best employees, the employee having the best experience at interview. I was talking to someone about this the, the other day and I was I was pointing out the fact that there's a paradox in job interviews because the job interviews that I've gone to where I've really, really wanted the job and I've really cared are the job interviews where my anxiety levels have been at the highest because there's the most for me to lose. So I'm going in thinking, I really want this job. I've got to do well. And I put a load of undue pressure on myself. The interviews where I've probably interviewed the best are the ones where I don't actually want the job and I don't really care as much about the outcome of the interview, maybe because I've got another job already lined up or um, I'm already gainfully employed and I'm just sort of, you know, looking around and I don't feel as stressed by that. So actually, ironically, the job that I'm probably best suited to, the one that's going to bring the most passion is the one where I perform worst at an interview because of my anxiety. On a personal note, 
One thing I've always done when interviewing, uh, when going for interviews, sorry, when being interviewed is to take a moment to stop and collect myself before and used simple breathing techniques like square breathing or a take notice and grounding technique where I just listen to the sounds around me or I focus on a physical object and I see what I can see, see what I can hear, see what I can smell, see how I'm feeling maybe just stop and breathe in a sort of pattern that can relax me. And I find those kind of things just before an interview, although sometimes I'm probably aware that I maybe do look a little bit crazy sat in the waiting room, breathing and sat with, uh, you know, my eyes closed or something. Actually, it really does help just lower my heart rate and calm me. And another thing that I've learned from years of yoga and some sort of uh, meditation is that your body sort of learns these patterns. So if you practice mindfulness, if you practice breathing techniques, then when you're doing those techniques, when you're in a calm situation, if you apply that technique to a stressful situation like interview, your body remembers the calm state and you quickly go back to it. And so from a being interviewed point of view, there are some things we can sort of do and techniques we can learn and, uh, you know, things we can learn from simple apps. Like I think I've mentioned the Headspace app before where there's stuff on there for anxiety before sort of interview or work based stuff. And we can really use use those skill sets to help us prepare. But from an employer's point of view, which is what the question was about, I think it's really about working out what is it we want to get out of our candidates who are attending? What is it we want to see? And how do we create an environment where that person feels relaxed and comfortable so we get to see them shine? And I think these are really, really important things to embrace. And a really important way, it comes back to what I've said again and again and again throughout this podcast, is we need to talk about our mental health. We need to talk about our feelings. Asking the question, what makes you most nervous at interview and what can we do to overcome those things is a really simple question to ask, but unlocks the conversation and will make me feel like you're appreciating my feelings and make me feel a lot better, even if we do nothing else. Great question. Well, that brings us to the end of the questions. I just wanted to sum up by saying, well, thanks for listening. And I just wanted to recap on what we've sort of covered. We talked about what anxiety is, that feeling of worry or fear that's sort of more extreme than um, uh, sort of excitement. It's uh, kind of, and it becomes diagnosable when it starts to interfere with our life and it's more severe than what we might see as sort of regular anxiety would expect to see. We've talked about anxiety being caused very often by stressors and the way we think about things. We even dipped a little bit into thoughts and how thoughts influence uh, our our anxiety. And we also talked about a range of different anxiety disorders. Uh, We sort of covered a range of that. And we also talked about how we can manage anxiety from a personal point of view with things like mindfulness or exercise or sleep, or from a company point of view in terms of changing our culture, providing mental health first aiders, providing access to support by training our managers to talk about these things in a non-judgmental and stigma-free way. And I think that sort of really sums up what we've talked about. I hope this has given everyone something to think about. I hope it's been a useful format. Feel free to feed back to us on our socials if you enjoyed this and we'll we'll do some more Q&A ones. Uh, and then I think um, maybe next time it will be back to me and Manuela. So thanks for listening and speak to you all again soon.